If you would love to create a transformational and successful coaching business, but you don't know where to start or how to make this a full-time career, then my new certification program, Influential Coach, is for you. There is no other four-month live online mastermind like this. I'm going all in, guns blazing on this one with you to skyrocket your coaching career and personal brand online. You will learn the frameworks I personally use for rapid transformational coaching so you can support your clients to achieve their dreams no matter where they are in life. You will also learn how to authentically brand and market yourself as a coach so you can stand out from the rest and build a career of freedom and fulfillment. Spots are limited and this is an application only program. So if you're serious about finally committing to building a successful career in transformational coaching, then head over to imjoelbrown.com slash coach and apply today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with a fellow Aussie, a transformational leader who coaches people through times of crisis and encourages them and supports them in diving deep within themselves to find a way to integrate both the dark and the light and how to transform and turn their pain into their power and their mess into their message. This is Janet Hogan. Janet Hogan, thank you so much for joining us today. Look, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, Joel. Thank you for asking me. Appreciate you. Yeah. So if you're listening right now, Janet uh, offered to do some coaching sessions with me a little while back. We actually uh, linked up in Bali. We're both speaking at the same event. She heard my story. I heard parts of hers and I was like, wow, we need to connect. And there's something about Janet where she's pulled this, these decades and decades of wisdom together. And she's very similar to me in the sense that she loves to create frameworks and teaching so that people can get into action and apply self-development to their life. So they actually can feel a change. It's not just inspirational talk, it's transformational work. So I had to get Janet on, especially in this time right now that we're in, there's a lot of uncertainty. Janet is, has experienced some things in, in the past with the, you know, the GFC back in 2008, and she has utilized the tools uh, back then and, and implements them today and teaches people how to do this too, to pull themselves back into this space of power and certainty. So Janet, uh, I would love for you to just dive in real quick for you, what is it that most lights you up? What are you most excited about right now in life? Oh, well, I suppose the thing that most lights me up is when I see change uh, uh, happen across someone's face. And it's, it's just, how would I describe it? It's almost like you see 10 years drop away, uh, like the, the burden of worry and anxiety and self-doubt and sometimes self-loathing just falls away. And that for me is just like the magic moment. It's like, it affects me like a, a beautiful sunset might affect some people. That's, that's my, uh, that's my most special moment in terms of right now in this whole uh, Corona bubble that we find ourselves in. I, I find it really fascinating because for me personally, it's kind of really pushed me into action. Uh, like I feel more uh, motivated than I felt ever before. Um, and partly helped by the fact that I don't have lots of distraction. I'm getting a lot done, but I'm actually just uh, loving this chance to be very industrious, actually, and try and put myself out there as much as possible because I sense there are a bunch of people who are feeling right now how I felt in 2008. So I'll do whatever I can to haul them out of that space because it's a terrible place to be. For sure. So let's break this down. 2008, the GFC hit. Can you just share with us what happened to you in that moment? I remember you shared the story with me a little while back. You were sitting somewhere, experiencing something, and then, you know, you got the news, like, what happened? 
Well, actually, I had two shocks, right? So the first shock was I was a product of the 80s and our mantra was the harder I work, uh, the more money I'll make and the more money I make, the happier I'll be, right? You know, it's a familiar mantra. And so I actually got to that point where I did have everything I thought I wanted. You know, we had this multi-million dollar um, beautiful uh, mansion on the waterfront in Australia's Sundays. you know, with private beach next door and glassy wow. water, turtles bobbing up and down in the bay and money in the bank and, you know, everything was just wonderful. And I, I'll never forget that Sunday afternoon when I was in a kayak with my daughter Clover and I looked around at everything we owned and instead of that, you know, um, promised feeling of happiness. Uh, all I felt was this total emptiness. And uh, so that was realisation, or if you like, shock number one. I went, oh, what's that all about? You know, obviously I've spent my whole life climbing a mountain, reached the summit and gone, oh, the view sucks from here. So what mountain am, am I supposed to climb? Then I didn't do anything. And that was a year before, that was 2007. So basically when 2008 hit, the problem for me was that all my self-worth came from my bank balance. You know, my self-worth and my net worth were the same thing. So as I watched the bank balance just disintegrate and uh, the risk that we would lose everything that we'd, you know, spent the last 30 years uh, working for, it was like I was watching myself disintegrate. You know, it's like I was having a finger chopped off one by one every time there was another, you know, slump in the share market. And I would get up at two every morning trundle downstairs, which was a long way because it was a big house, and just glue myself to my laptop and watch the red line continue, you know, its, its downward journey uh, to the point where I was just a mess and I just could not be present. So if you said something to me, it just wouldn't go in. It, it, the, the synapses weren't firing anymore. Uh, it was a, a, a place where I was absolutely um, unable to make a decision, unable to think clearly and unable to take any action. Wow. What a trying moment. Wow, wow, wow. So then how did you get into solution or creation? Well, I had to reach my rock bottom. And I'm not saying that everyone has to do this, but it seems to be typical of this kind of journey um, where I really did just want to check out. I remember the, uh, the fellow who ran uh, uh, Volkswagen in Germany. So he was like a, a, a billionaire. Um, I remember hearing about him throwing himself in front of a train and I, when I heard that on the news, instead of feeling compassion, I actually felt envy. I thought, oh, you know, that, wow. that would make it all so easy. And I think from that point, you know, we really have a choice. When we reach that, that kind of death state, you know, just wanting to check out, we do die. It's inevitable. It's just we have a choice. The, either we can die physically, literally, and then all we're doing is passing all our suffering onto those we leave behind. Um, or we have some kind of metaphysical death where we have to drop some kind of belief system that's got us to this point that clearly hasn't worked for us. And so that, at that point, I went, all right, maybe I don't know it all. <laughs> maybe money isn't the answer. Maybe I actually have something to learn, but I have no idea what it is. So at that point... Um, I would hold, because we're in a remote part of Australia, there were no therapists or anything around. So I would um, bring, I would, there was a, a local Buddhist monk who lived two hours away. So she would drive up and we would hold meetings in our living room and I would just invite the community to sit in. And I, I had no idea. I was clutching at straws. So I was just bringing in anyone. I flew up a therapist from Sydney. We held uh, workshops for locals about how to deal with stress, anxiety, um, the issue was they were, the, it was kind of reassuring in a way, but I didn't get any answers from any of these people. It, I was just on a search, essentially. Yeah. Something happened to you there, right? 
You know, when you talked about that, that moment where you heard this guy that was in uh, Volkswagen and yeah. he you know, decided to end his life and, and you, you in that sense, like could identify that, that feeling of pain within yourself. I think what it is, is it's like you're divorcing your identity in that moment. It's like, mm. I, like it, it, my identity is done. I, I need to go with it. Like, it's like you miss it that much. It's either yeah. that or you transform and change your identity. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely. Yeah. It was interesting because I'll never forget that moment. I, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I threw lots of water down my throat. I, I thought I, I just have to do something. I didn't know what to do. And I went out into the garden and everything was monochrome. It's like life had, was drained of color. And I was just wheeling around the garden. Um, and it's kind of an egoic position, this in a funny way. It doesn't sound like it, but it is because you're saying to think that I could have destroyed all of this. You know, you're still coming from that part of yourself that's being ruled by fear. And at that point, um, I hated myself so much. Um, and that hate, of course, comes from fear, that I thought the only noble thing I could do would be to remove myself from the world. The world would be a better place without me at this point. That would solve a problem. <laughs> so it's kind of the opposite to what we should be thinking. And, uh, yeah, so that was definitely, that, that's a moment I'll never forget. Um, and, uh, but unfortunately the solution didn't come for several years later. In the meantime, I got post-traumatic stress disorder from that. And so I had to kind of sit with myself, unable to think clearly. And that was very debilitating because I never knew really if the synapses would start firing again. That's why I really feel for people who are going through this now, because I know what they're going through. And I'd really like to say it doesn't have to be this hard. It doesn't. I, I felt terribly isolated. And I think that's a common experience, you know, that we think we're the only person in the world this is happening to. I remember talking to my uh, financial consultant uh, when we were talking about this mooted crash. And he said, listen, Janet, don't worry about it because, you know, you won't be alone. Everyone else will be in the same boat. And believe me, when it actually happens, you think you're the only person in the boat. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's happening to everyone else. It really doesn't. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I remember I was having a conversation with Tony Robbins maybe three, four years back. And he was sharing that there was this billionaire in Europe. I can't remember exactly where it was. It might have been Russia or you know, Eastern Europe somewhere. And he was like number three or number four on the list as the top billionaires, right? And this was his whole claim to fame and, you know, hardworking guy and built the companies ever since he was, you know, a teenager and so on. And when this GFC hit, uh, he was feeling this much pain, you know, as, as you were saying, you know, you go through that feeling like a lone wolf, like an alien, you're feeling like no one understands you, you're going through the struggle yourself, there's so much pressure on your shoulders. He decided to jump off a building. And mm. what happened was, I think it was maybe two or three, maybe it was three years later, his net worth actually increased even more with all the assets and everything that were left behind that he ended up moving to like number two on the list of top billionaires in the country, but he wasn't around to experience it because he put yeah. so much of his identity in his significance yeah. and his titles that yeah. he would rather die than to, to lose that, you know, identity, which is, wow, it's like yeah. insane how we do this, you know? And I think that what we do is we, we've got to be careful of being, feeling like we're going to be safe in our identity rather than being mm. safe in, in actually how, like you and I were talking about this before, we can't control the Corona stuff. Mm. You know, we can't control the media and everything else that's going on, but we can control our own space. And even then that can be challenging at times, right? 
Yeah, well, well, I realized, you know, I was very, very tied up into real estate. Like we've bought and sold and renovated about 100, and, I think I counted 117 properties. In fact, uh, Ralph and I drove past one a few years ago. And we couldn't even remember if we'd actually owned that one. And we went, oh, yeah, we did own that one. You know, that's crazy stuff. Because the, the, the sense of self is coming from that, right? And in the process, because we put all our energy into that, we don't put any energy into who we are. So, so my asset base is, in total, is totally internalized now. It's not externalized. I'm, I'm staying in a nice place here, but we rent it. And I love it. You know, it's, there's no uh, weight of responsibility. And I'm not, I'm not saying don't own property. Property is a great investment. But what I'm saying is don't use that as your justification for who you are and your significance. So we, uh, what I do now is, is build on my internal assets. You know, that's, that's where my real value lies. And that's a constant journey, but there's no judgment in that journey. I, I love it. I, I think that's the most exciting frontier of all is developing ourselves, you know, not developing property, but, but going inside and building up that asset base. That's our real asset base. I love that word, internal assets. I love it. Like I'm, I'm developing my internal assets. And it's so true because you take you everywhere you go, right? You are where your feet stand. And yeah. I put up a quote earlier that said something along the lines of, you know, it's not even about achieving the goals. It's the shaping of your character and your pursuit of your dreams that makes you that valuable person that you are, right? And I think a lot of people miss that point. And, and for me, it's always about flexing. It's like, how can I flex my potential as often as possible? Because there's something about that, right? Like even this struggling time that a lot of people are in right now, you're, you're literally at a fork in the road. It's like, do I become the victim or the victor? Do I get to choose whether I, you know, I'm going to use this time for creation, use this time for maybe even like nurturing yourself and some self-love if, you, if you've been denying yourself of that for so long? Uh, or am I going to sit and watch the news 24-7 and feed my mind with fear-mongering tactics and everything else that a lot of people are being fed by? So we're in a really interesting time right now. I think even spiritually too, like a lot shifting and a lot of people are having to wake up to the fact that a lot of what they thought was real was actually an illusion. And what a lot of what they've been avoiding was actually real. Yes. Yeah. And I think the fear for a lot of us, this is the thing, it's kind of hard making this shift from thinking of yourself as the summation of all these external things and that can include, you know, social media followers and all sorts of things. It's not just real estate, but it's stuff that's external to us. It still relies on the approval of others. Um, shifting from there to going, actually, I want to build myself. I know my feeling and my fear whenever I thought about this was, yeah, but what if I start digging and there's nothing there? Uh, you know, for a long time, I thought my core destructive belief was I am nothing. It, it turned out to be something uh, even deeper than that. But that was my fear. I thought I was kind of like one of those Russian Easter eggs, you know, that was all beautifully painted on the outside. But when you open it up, there's no yoke, there's nothing. And I thought, yeah, is that what I'm going to find? And, and I have to say that I've never worked with anyone who has found that. It, the, the, the process, and this is the wonderful thing, uh, if only more of us knew about it, is if, the, if we do go on this inner journey, um, there, there are only riches to be found. Um, the problem, I think, is that we've been conditioned to run away from pain, uh, physical pain. You know, even women now having cesareans so that they're spared pain, it's kind of gone uh, crazy. You know, we've moved so far away from our natural selves. Um, but emotional pain, I think, is more confronting for a lot of people because it's what we've been conditioned to run away from. Uh, so that's been my, if you like, obsession to go, okay, 
because uh, I am a doctor's daughter, so I am all about, you know, surgical precision. Let's go from here to here to here to here and get you out as a healthy person on the other side. Um, but in the emotional arena, that kind of means making a safe, a safe place for you to go to that dark part of you, because we all have a dark part and the, there is extreme beauty in the dark part. I mean, imagine life if it was daytime all the time, how intolerable that would be. And yet we don't tolerate darkness in ourselves. We go, no, I'm, I, I just want to be sunny and bright all the time. Uh, and unfortunately, we can't live with that. And, and the irony in that is that because we're running away from it, it comes to pursue us. And that's why we suffer at times like this, because we haven't actually gone within ourselves and we become very vulnerable to what's happening outside of us. Yeah. It's like, how unrealistic can I be with myself today? Yes, <laughs> like to, exactly. to setting ourselves yeah. up for perfection. Like, oh, we need, we need to be perfect when really we think we're setting ourselves up to win, to be perfect, but we're setting ourselves up for failure because we never fully meet it. It's like, you yeah. can't, you can't just have half and not the other. Like we take ourselves there, you know, and, and everything comes with it. And that's why I often tell a lot of my students that no matter how many strategies you stack on top, you know, success tips and advice, and even you guys are listening, if you're listening right now to this podcast, great, you're learning strategies and everything. But the, the big deep work that comes underneath it is you're holding onto a boulder back here of all these other things that you may be sweeping under the rug. And that's when, it, when it's time to be real with yourself and go, all right, I don't need to be perfect, but there's work to do. And I get to go in and clean some mess up so that I can move forward with more power instead of just staying in the same place and like pretending that everything's all good. Like you said, the Easter egg analogy is, it's so true. Yeah. I think, you know, if, if anyone listening is feeling self doubt or fear or any of those kind of uncomfortable emotions, just think, thank God I'm not numb, you know, because numb is the worst place. Uh, that, that is a state of being only half alive. If you're feeling fear, just be okay with that because that is just your, that's your emotional temperature and it's the equivalent of having a fever. And, it, and your, your emotional self is saying to you, right, there's stuff going on that you need to address. That's all. It's just a sign. It's your body, your emotional state communicating to you saying there's work to be done here. So it's, it, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually saying that your system is working and it's, it's trying to tell you something. The problem is we generally don't know where to go from there. That's, we haven't been conditioned. We haven't been taught how to go from there. We've been taught that there's something you know, wrong with these negative emotions. They're, you know, emotions like sadness and grief, a lot of people are feeling that at the moment, right? Because there's a lot of loss going on. There's, there's loss of life. There's loss of financial assets. There's loss of jobs. And so to be able to just sit with that grief, in fact, if you're feeling that right now, put on the most melancholy song that you can find and allow yourself to go there even quicker and just sit with it because that's part of who you are. That's part of your, you know, like an artist has a palette of colours, you have this palette of emotions and this is, you're born to experience these. And, and uh, when you come out the other side, uh, in my experience, what you feel is relief. You don't feel more grief, you just feel relief. So this is a time where we can start experimenting and playing around a little bit, right? Because there's no shame in this particular crisis, not like the global financial crisis. There was a lot of shame in that because we were accused of being the greedy generation and this, we were getting our just desserts. This one comes kind of guilt-free, <laughs> so make the most of it. Yeah, that's such a fair point. And, and that's what it is too, Janet, from what I can hear you saying is accepting 
that you're human, accepting that you get to feel those emotions is even an honor and, and such a great privilege to be able to even feel something because, you know, there are people that have passed that would do anything to, to feel something again, you know, even for a split mm. second. So, you know, we get to feel these things. And I think the important thing is to not identify with it and go, that's sadness. That means I'm sad. And, that, and, mm. and like fusing with it and going, this is me for the rest of my life now, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about being a bit counterintuitive, actually. It's if you can, I mean, the first step is to be able to name the emotion. Straight away, you're starting to move away from it. You're creating a separation. So you're witnessing your own self, if you like, or the, the, the emotional part of yourself. If you can give it a name, whatever that is, and you can give it a terrible name if you want to, it doesn't really matter, but just name it and then allow yourself to actually fully experience it. And wherever you are, you might be lying in bed or sitting in a chair or walking around, just allow yourself to fully experience it. And then inevitably you will come out the other side, but you'll be richer for it, right? And you'll start to be able to play with it more. It's, it's a practice, like everything, it's a practice. We have to practice feeling bad, not being bad, but just be allowing ourselves to experience that and then it won't continue to haunt us and, and chase us. We won't be so scared of that feeling. Yeah. Beautiful. So how do we conquer the inner limits of crisis and fear that are, that's within us? If you, if someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, this is all great. Good, good news. I can hear what you're saying. Like, what are the steps? Uh, do you have a framework? Do you have anything that people can start actioning now? Cause the addicted to success audience loves actionable episodes where they can write things down and, and, you know, get things from on pattern and, and paper to really look at it and observe it and, and get into action. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I was obsessed by this cause I put together a program called the fifth door um, and uh, which was all about helping you get clear on your life path. But what I found was I could get people clear on their life path so that they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. But then inevitably they would trip themselves up before they crossed the threshold. And I thought, what's that about? What's the, if uh, I have to, I have to find the answer to this because otherwise my program's not going to work and it's not worth doing if it's not going to work. So that's when I became obsessed about finding out why do we self-sabotage? What's that all about? It's a bit like, you know, we've got one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake. That's crazy. So how do we take our foot off the brake without driving so fast that we crash? So uh, I've put together a process in terms of what the steps are. Essentially, um, it sounds like the 12 steps actually, but it's, uh, I would describe it more as a hero's journey. So just imagine that you're Superman and you know that somewhere on this planet, there's a whole bunch of kryptonite, which is going to really stuff you up if you don't actually get over it and, and, and disarm it, disarm the power, right? It's your Achilles heel. And every superhero has an Achilles heel. You know, it might be Darth Vader, a physical villain, but they're all metaphors for the enemy within. And so our job as human beings is to find out, is to unmask that enemy within. And then when we unmask it, what we do is we actually turn it into our ally. It becomes our supporter. But we have to go to the dark place to do that. So the process is firstly to define exactly what it is you need. So we go to the positive, right? So we define the brightest future that we can imagine. Now, why do we do that? Because if we don't do that, it's way too confronting just to go straight into the dark. So we first have to go, yep, yeah, there's a bright future. This is what it looks like. And the way for me to get this, this is where it's counterintuitive, the way for me to get the bright future 
is to go in the opposite direction, right? Because if I don't now confront the dark past, it's going to stop me ever getting to that right place, okay? And this is exactly the hero's journey. So from there, the thing that we most need defines the thing that we are, that we are recoiling from, our core fear. So we do a 180 degree flip and we go into the core fear. What's that about? It's often about uh, uh, lack, uh, lack of safety, not having enough. Uh, rejection is a strong one, you know, social isolation, disconnection. All these tend to come up as core fears. And then once we've isolated the fear, we know that the fear is actually a product of this thing that I call the core destructive belief. So we're getting closer, right? It's like a detective uh, searching for clues. Uh, so once we know we've identified the fear, we use that fear to springboard us back into our past where we felt that fear before. Now, because a lot of us are blocked, right, uh, and, ge and generally things happen to us when we're very, very young and it's very common not to be able to remember those childhood memories. So what we do is I actually talk to yourself that's not your current self, but what we call your shadow self or your dark self, and we talk to that aspect of you. Um, and it's a very effective process for getting into memories that might have otherwise been suppressed. And I talk to that version of you and we uh, unravel the past, go back to some of those memories. But I liken it to, um, you know, if you've ever been to a fun fair, it's like uh, after we've been on the merry-go-round and the roller coaster, they're a bit boring after a while. So you have to go on the ghost train, right? To complete the day out, you have to go on the ghost train. But knowing that once you jump on, you're not going to stay there forever. There's light at the end of that tunnel. You jump off and everything's right. Uh, so that's what we do. We go on your version of the ghost train. And then I present uh, people with a list of core destructive beliefs. So this is what you need to do. You need to actually look at all the typical core destructive beliefs. You know, it might be, I am stupid. Uh, I'm, it could be about a physical defect, you know, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not pretty enough. Uh, it could be something cultural. There's a whole, whole bunch of them. It's kind of reassuring to know that there's, there are so many and they're so common. And a lot of them are quite dark, you know, like I'm, I'm evil. Uh, I should never have been born. You know, it's, and you think, wow, that's kind of shocking, but it's very, very common. And then we actually realize that they're stories. And once we understand that it's all a story that was there to protect us when we were hurt, to make sense of our world, because we just wanted to feel safe, then we can start to see the truth behind it and the truth is actually the opposite to the story but the wonderful thing here is it's not just about uh, getting rid of this core destructive belief at all it's about actually owning it and taking it into ourselves. because this core destructive belief that was telling us how useless we were and how unworthy uh, and and uh, you know how ridiculous and how shameful um, actually is what has given us so many of our skills in life because we have another persona called the shadow's positive twin, and that's our overcompensating self. So, you know, if ever you've really gone out on a limb to show how successful you are, to show how smart you are, to show how good you are, that's probably your overcompensating self because, you know, it's a position you can't really sustain. And so once you understand the full parameters of yourself, then you find your truth lies somewhere in the middle. And from that point, you get into what I call radical self-acceptance, which leads to self-love. And from there, you settle into yourself. And at the end of the journey, you come back, if you like, with the hero's elixir, which is a message for the world, because your message comes from your pain. And that message, um, you know, if you're in the thought leader space, uh, defines what you, what you put out to your audience, how you connect with them, and often also contains your theme. But you're now talking from a position 
of true authenticity because that's an oft-used word, right? And authenticity is really knowing your darkest place and being prepared to speak from the pain of that to help others. Um, and, and then at that point, you really come home to yourself. That's the journey. And you can uh, do it in many different ways. I, I do it in a very um, engineered way, very structured, um, because I know how hard it is for people to confront that. But I feel that uh, once you do, your whole life radically changes. Yeah. And I can definitely vouch for Janet on that process because Janet walked me through a number of those processes. And the thing that came up for me quite often was this, this not fully diving into my vulnerability, even though I thought I was uh, because I hadn't fully owned both the dark and the light parts of myself. And I think if anything, I was trying to lean more into the light, you know, lighthouse of hope and this kind of this savior complex uh, which probably bleeds a little bit into my coaching and speaking and my leadership. Uh, but there's a difference, right? There's definitely a difference because I know that I used to get bullied in school. I reached this point in my life where, you know, I got s- severely humiliated through this bullying process, massive fight in front of the whole school and felt like I had lost and got beaten. And I remember that point where I said, you know, I felt like either a victim or a victor was the option. And I went with, I'm the victor, but then I went hardcore victor to the point where I'm like, I'm going to prove you all wrong and killed it in the music industry, did really well at a young age. And this was that, that desperation. It was overcompensationary success. And then I realized when I casted my vision for my future and created Addicted to Success, that was when I started to move into inspiration, not desperation. But I still was on that journey. There were fragments of it still. And, and you know, like I was sharing with you before, Janet, I've reached a point where, like I said, I'm kind of unapologetic now in my approach. Like I'm not trying to fit in. I'm just staying in my lane. And it's like you think you're there and then you reach that next level of vulnerability and openness and, and integration of the dark and the light and, uh, and, and identifying and observing the things about yourself and becoming aware of the fact that you're showing up in a certain way and, and I get to you know, change it now. And, and I said before, when we jumped in the call, I'm like, I really don't give a crap. Like, I really don't. Like, I'm in a place now where I'm not here to, to please anyone. I already know the gifts I have. I've learned to love myself. And in that, I've just become even more powerful in my walk that I'm able to serve more people in an impactful way than I ever had before because I'm not trying to prove it. It's just like, I know what I got. Let's do this. You know, who else wants to come with, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. The, um it's so true what you say. Uh, you become so much more effective at your job when you fully accept yourself because people can relate to you. And otherwise, it's almost like you're too perfect and they go, oh, yeah, but I could never be that, you know. And, it's, and also, I've got, this, I've got this expression or it's a model, really, that you, you define your future because that's where anxiety lies. You go to your past because that's where depression lies. You bring them together and that produces the present, right, your presence, your ability to be present. Sorry, it's a terrible pun, but it it really is the bringing together of the past and the future does make you present because you're no longer troubled by yourself. There's not that inner um, angst, that kind of heartfelt conflict, which if we're honest with ourselves, we can feel when, you know, and it manifests as a, a weird feeling in our stomach or over our heart, a constriction over our heart or our throat. And often that physical presence of that, if you like, dark energy is the body's way of speaking to us as well. But we're very good at ignoring it. So we usually wait till we've done what I did and lose millions of dollars and go, I want to kill myself. And then finally we might decide to wake up. (laughs) You don't have to go to that extreme. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that, yeah, the thing is some people actually get addicted to that feeling, that adrenaline rush or that back against the wall to get into action. And that's a form of procrastination, isn't it? To just kind of wait till you feel enough pain because there's the perceived pain of the future. It's like, if I do this, then I'm going to have to go through all this. But then they wait till the pain of the present is so strong to the point where it pushes them forward. And it's like, it's not a fun way to live your life. No, it's not. No, I know my, well, my core destructive belief actually is I'm naughty because I was that generation that got, um, well, I tried to actually dislodge my little sister because I was a very overindulged firstborn. <laughs> and I think uh, sibling bullying is a really serious issue for a lot of people. Um, and, um, and my sister and I've worked through this, by the way. Um, but how, how did, did you get... heal it? Was it just like, a, wasn't it like acknowledging the fact that you were showing up like that? And then was it like a forgiveness process or how did that work? Uh, you know what all it was, Joel, uh, and this is the funny thing about court destructive beliefs is you, you only have to see the belief. Uh, you just, the, the words come up. I was actually, I didn't do this myself. I was working with someone who's a, a mentor of mine who shared this um, with me, this aspect of the process. And as soon as I said, I'm naughty, I went, oh, my God, that's it. Because it's played, it's played out throughout my life. You know, it's why I took a risky margin loan. Uh, it's why uh, I did a bit of acting in my past and I, I would um, turn up, you know, like an hour late for the call session, you know, something I would never dream of doing now. You know, this self-sabotaging behaviour of, oh, you know, I can get away with it because I'm naughty because you, we turn it into, I wasn't conscious of it, by the way. I'm only talking re- retrospectively when I look back at my life how it played out and how it played havoc. But uh, what happens, that, that, sh- that pain of, you know, in my case, the shame of being scolded by my mother, you, you naughty, naughty girl, you know, it's like it becomes a mental tattoo. Um, and so we take it as gospel because we don't know any better. And a child will always blame it themselves. Uh, we never blame the adult or the perpetrator. Um, that's just the way it is because we want our world to stay safe. We don't want to rock the boat. We'll do whatever they say. So if she's saying I'm naughty, I'm naughty. And accordingly, there's a punishment attached to that, you know. So, so the punishment for me was not being able to be myself. I was just in a room by myself, not speaking. Um, being on a podcast like this is my idea of heaven because I'm able to express myself because there was so much pain associated with not expressing myself. So I punished myself basically for about 30 years by being a massive overachiever, working behind a desk, not in my flow at all, managing people, which I'm terrible at. Um, and, but, you know, just putting my nose to the grindstone. And uh, it was only later uh, when I actually did all this work on myself and, uh, and worked with some wonderful people as well um, that I went, oh, my God, my whole life has been a charade. Uh, but I'm so grateful to be in this place, honestly, so grateful. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get super vulnerable right now. And I like that you shared what you did. And I think this is, this is a power of vulnerabilities. We get to really accept the parts of ourselves that we, we have been pushing back for so long. When I did a session with you and for anyone listening, like Janet, Janet has, has mentored me in such a beautiful way. Uh, she walked me through these processes and I was able to identify a lot of things that a lot of other coaches and mentors weren't able to support me in. And one of the things that when we went through that process, you know, how you're talking about that, the core uh, limiting belief or destructive belief, I think we're going through like a list of them. And I was like, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. Failure mistakes are bad. And the one that got me, like punched me in the gut, like was, I don't love myself. And I remember I kept going through and I was looping around on some of them that were like, when I was getting that emotional feeling, I was like, I don't love myself. I don't love myself. And I remember feeling 
this overwhelming feeling of emotions and just like tears coming out. And I, I started crying, you know, when we did this process. And I think the fact that I, in that moment, accepted that I don't actually love myself when it felt so long, I was telling myself that like, I don't need to do this self-love stuff because I do love it. That's the part that, that felt like it hurt the most. Cause it's yeah. like, cause I was realizing I was rejecting myself for so long. And I think so many people that are listening right now are probably resonating with this. Maybe you're feeling emotional right now, just even thinking about it yourself. That's where you get to do the work. Yeah. That's where the transformation is. Yeah. That pain of self betrayal. Uh, it's, it, that's the dagger in the heart, isn't it? I, I remember I had a near death experience uh, once cause I was trying everything, right? I was a bit of a workshop junkie. Uh, just to trying to get to the bottom of all of this. And I went to a boot camp, a Face Your Fears boot camp, and uh, where we, we went through a simulated death experience. And uh, so a guy came up to me, he looked quite, you know, like he was a big guy, a big strong guy, and his job was to squeeze my carotid artery till I passed out. So I thought, that's fine. I'd sign my telephone book's worth of disclaimer forms. Um, <laughs> so according... <laughs> that's intense. Given it, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's interesting because it was in a workshop. Maybe I'm just terribly trusting, but because it was in a workshop context, I wasn't that scared. It wasn't as if it, it like being in a dark alley, for instance. But anyway, he came up and just before he squeezed my neck, I was, I was actually curious because I thought, oh, wow, you know, I might feel that, you know, that euphoria that they talk about at the end of the, you see the light at the end of the tunnel or your life flashes before you. And <laughs> instead, as I passed out, I just heard this voice and the voice said, oh, Janet, you've let everyone down. And then when I came to, I was just a mess. Um, I, I thought, how could this be? Because my whole life had been about self-sacrifice. So how, who did I let down? How could, I, how could that be, you know, on judgment day, if this had been my real death and that's what I'd heard, how, how ironic would that be that I'd worked so hard, been a great mother and wife and worker and career person we had about six different businesses and you know this tireless worker why is that the final judgment call and I was quite angry at that point and then and then it just hit me like a ton of bricks uh, of course I'd let everyone down I'd let myself down because I let myself down I let everyone else down this is the act of betrayal so by by sacrificing myself and so many women I know will relate to this by sacrificing ourselves, we are committing the greatest act of selfishness of all because we're not showing up as we truly are. And if we can get around this concept that to invest in ourselves is how we will be the best partner, the best mother, the best career person, only by investing in ourselves and knowing who we are and showing up as we are and giving of ourselves Will we be that person that we are wanting to be for others? But we must be that person for ourselves first. And when I got that, I went, oh, my God. Uh, that was the biggest lesson of my life because suddenly everything made sense. And then the journey was, well, who the hell am I? What does that mean to be yourself? What does that mean? And that became my pursuit. And, and, yeah. being, and knowing who you are means also knowing your dark side. You can't know just half the story. That wouldn't make any sense. Imagine how boring a book would be with just a, a story with just a hero in it, right? We need the villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Just so much of this conversation resonates so deeply with me. I know I'm identifying that, that 
has been, you know, my, my journey and so many of my students too. I'm sure you see it all the time is, is, is so many people try and avoid that part and it just doesn't work. It's like, you want, no. you want the glory. You've got to go through the story. You've got to go through the trials and tribulations. And, you know, going back yeah. to even the conversation I was saying about Tony Robbins, when we talked about this, he just said like, you can't bypass uh, getting in the trenches and doing the working, the blood, sweat, the tears, getting your hands dirty, uh, mm. going for mastery and, and going in on your craft. So many people want that cream of the crop title or the achievements or the feeling they think they're going to, they're going to get when they get there, but they're not willing to do the things they need to do along the way. And it's kind of like you wanting to jump in the ring and win the belt, but you never practice for it or fought for it. It's like, you don't know the value of that thing unless you actually put in the work. Yeah. You get to own it more when you've done the work, right? Yeah. And the challenge is also how to keep growing. And and I've found, oh, well, for me, you know, my big, uh, like most recent trauma is IT, you know, and I think this is typical of baby boomers. You know, there's a, uh, oh, there's a wonderful video. What's her name? Um, oh, I can't think of it. But anyway, uh, she's teaching her mum to turn on the, uh, her computer. And honestly, uh, it's the funniest video I've ever seen. I relate to it so much. So <laughs> the other day I held a masterclass on Zoom and at the 11th hour, um, I couldn't share the, the hosting facility. So there I was driving the bus, you know, with uh, uh, letting people in on the call. It, it wasn't hundreds or anything. There were about 40 people. But, uh, you know, um, muting the mics, uh, managing the chat, doing the breakout room, and then also at the same time trying to sound coherent as if everything was fine. And um, so that for me would be like the definition of the ultimate growth challenge. But I realised at that point that if I became a drama llama and just, you know, collapsed into a panicky soup, I wouldn't be serving anyone and I would just make the whole challenge that much harder next time I had to confront it. So I think for me, the lesson has been, uh, yes, it is about getting to know yourself. And once you know yourself, uh, then you put yourself out into the world, you know, to be of service. And I know when you're not in that space, that can sound really kind of cheesy and, you know, a bit vomit inducing. But the, the thing is, at some point, if you are doing what you love, you have to put it out there into the world. So when I was at that moment in the Zoom room where... 40 or 10 new people going, let's hear your magic. And I'm going, hang on a sec, I've got to let 10 people into the room. I thought, right, I can't let these people down. So that was the line that stuck with me, that I'd let everyone down. And so from this moment forward, I could not let those people down uh, by being uh, uh, someone who was succumbing to, to instant fear like that. And I think this is where life gets really exciting where we constantly put ourselves in these ridiculous situations, you know, where we're being pushed and knowing that we can make a total idiot of ourselves and it's okay. There's no shame in it. Um, So equally in that situation, I could have said to that room, you know what guys, all this is going on, blah, 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 blah. And they would have been fine with it. You know? So I think this is, this is where we go to once we can accept ourselves, this is where we must go to next, where we can put ourselves in the potentially most uh, humiliating, terrifying situations and be okay with it. That we'll be okay no matter what. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. So, you know, if you're listening right now, we're talking quite often in this conversation about no more self-betrayal, right? Owning the parts of yourself that you've been putting off for so long. Uh, and, and not putting your worth in the things that you have or you do, 
putting in who you are and really diving into that. And so I think that ultimately, you know, Janet, when you trust yourself, it changes everything for you, right? Like you have this different out view, outlook on life and a view on life. And I think in this time that we're in right now, some people see it as a crisis. Some people see it as an awakening. You know, some people see it as an opportunity to create, some to wind down and chill out for once. When you trust yourself, if you're ever in economical challenges or, you know, in, in sickness or needing to support family, it's like you trust yourself that you have everything within you and around you to make anything possible. I think if that's the, like, if you pick up lessons in here today in this episode, and then you work out a way that like, okay, I'm going to apply this to my life today. That could be the difference between you sitting at home feeling stuck or you feeling like you're progressing in this time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are feeling stuck, that's totally normal. Uh, it's, it's very normal. Um, and you're feeling stuck for a reason because there is that inner force that's actually pulling you back and it's not actually a malevolent malicious evil force it's just something within you that's been within you since you were very young to protect you because if you did go out and rush out and you know scream at your parents or do something that might have um, been your, your true self speaking at that time that could have actually had really um, bad consequences so it all made sense back then the the problem is it stays with us so at some point if you get sick of feeling stuck uh, if you get sick of feeling permanently anxious or getting depressed, just know that you can do something about it. You don't have to stay with that because what I did, I, I didn't know that that was normal. So I dealt with it by um, drinking two glasses of Bundy rum and Coke every night. But over the years, the glasses went from being about that big to we actually used vases in the end. And so, so, so long as I kept to my two glass limit, all I was doing was delaying the inevitable. I was just numbing myself until uh, such point where if I was going to change, it would become as a radical crash, which is what it had to become. It doesn't have to be like that for you. If, uh, and I, what I love about this generation coming through is I'm seeing lots of people willing to do this work at 30. You know, traditionally it was at 50 midlife, but to see people doing this work, it means you have a whole, you, you get it two decades for free, yay, you know, where you get to actually be in charge of your life and not, not a victim of it. So, um, yeah, that would be my message. If I had my life over again and I, and I have no regrets because I needed to, to learn the hard way, but if I had it over again, I would definitely be doing this work uh, at an early age. Just to, I'd be curious to see who I could become from that early pivot point. Yes, yes, yes. So, Janet... Uh, what courses do you have out right now? I know you, you launched something recently. You've got some new things opening up. So if anyone wants to do some work with you and get some guidance from you, how can they uh, do this? Well, I have two programs at the moment and I have one called The Fifth Door, which is the first one I created. The program I wished had been available to me probably when I left school, actually, uh, because it's all about who you really are and getting to that, that very, very fine edge of you. As you know, uh, success is all about focus. And you have to focus on your, your, your sharpest strengths. You know, it's almost like applying a stiletto heel to a linoleum floor. You know, you want to make your impact. You've got to really get to that, that fine point of view. But there's no point doing that program if you're going to self-sabotage. And that's what I realized uh, when I was teaching it. And that's what compelled me to create this um, other program called The Process. And it's uh, The Process from um, Fragile to Unbreakable. Um, and those steps that I 
I walked you through before is what we actually do in the program. And uh, I'm actually, I'm actually got it uh, running uh, the 4th of May. Um, I feel for this time, so I was teaching this live as a workshop, like a lot of people, a lot of facilitators, trainers, teachers, and um, I did my online pivot. So I've been on my learning curve. I actually find uh, that the Zoom room is an incredibly intimate focused space. And uh, you know, we've tested it online already and it works really well. And there's a lot of, um, I believe, comfort to be had in the community that you create on Zoom. You know, there's, there's comfort knowing that you're not the only one feeling these things. Um, and there's a lot of uh, instant connection. When people, when you give someone a process, it's easy for them to go deep. And when you go deep with other people, you form these really tight bonds. So, and Zoom, of course, is a great platform for sharing. So we have breakout rooms. And um, so that's, that's what I do. And I, uh, I um, teach that, that program always first, because I figure if you, if you don't do that, then whatever you do after it, uh, you're kind of going to, um, uh, you'll cause yourself to fail one way or another. The, the, that was what the devil, can I just share a quick story, Joel? Yeah, of course. Um, Go ahead. You know, Napoleon Hill, uh, author of, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. Do you know you wrote another book called Outwitting the Devil? Have you heard of that? Yes, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, apparently the this, this story is, uh, he wrote it obviously a long time ago, but it didn't get published till 2011 because his wife said, oh, you can't print a book called Outwitting the Devil. But anyway, there was this uh, conversation uh, that Napoleon Hill had with the devil and he said, what would I need to do for you to tell me the truth? And the devil said, you would have to call me your majesty. And so he said, all right, your majesty, uh, what do you do to ensure that men fail? Uh, and the devil said, um, I allow them to drift. And what he meant by that was that people, we, we tend to think that we're doing something, that we're filling our lives with something important, but in fact all we're doing is drifting. And the inevit inevitable passage of drift is always going to be downwards, right? because we're just allowing the current to take us wherever it will, but we're not steering the boat. And the devil said, uh, the man I hate the most, because this was written a while ago, so it was all about man, not but the person, if you like, that I hate the most, is the one who can think clearly, make decisions and take action. And they're the three things that I couldn't do when I was frozen by fear in 2008. And I stayed in that state for about 18 months. And when I finally did take action, I was so frustrated. I took a diabolically wrong action. <laughs> so this is the reward at the end of the journey, that you put yourself in a frame of mind where no matter what is happening to you, you know, uh, financial pillars can be crumbling, health pillars crumbling, security crumbling. The whole world can feel like it's falling down around you but you stay solid and able to. The most important thing that you can do in this time is to be able to make good decisions and then take action. And that's, that's the gold at the end of it, that we, we, we conquer fear so that uh, the devil, if you like, isn't controlling you anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the quality uh, or the key to the quality of life is to make better decisions. And, you know, we don't have all the answers straight away. It's about experiencing, right? Getting in the trenches and, and getting out there. And I love that you highlighted that. That's, that's so great. So Janet, how can we find you online? 
Uh, well, probably the easiest uh, uh, the, the easiest way is just to go to my website, JanetHogan.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Um, I have to confess uh, that as a baby boomer, my social media spread is just starting to find its tentacles now. So I've got a minimal presence on LinkedIn and now Instagram's my next big thing. But um, yeah, I have to say a lot of my time and energy has gone into creating this work and testing it and testing it and testing it because there's quite a responsibility in taking people uh, to their dark self. So I just wanted to make sure that that worked more than anything. Um, but yes, if you, the face uh, book, which I have to say hasn't been updated yet for this current clim climate, but um, uh, is uh, probably the easiest way to reach me. And um, you can find my programs there. Yeah, beautiful stuff. I love that you're focused on results. It's not about marketing and being big. It's about being great with your results. So I do love that. That's a great way to do it. So Janet, we're wrapping up this interview. Thanks a million for being a part of this. Really love you and appreciate you for everything that you do. This episode is just a boatload of wisdom. So thank you. Uh, I always end every last interview or every interview with this last question here. And the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What I have to say is that the greatest uh, pain you can feel is the pain of self-betrayal. And you will feel that on your very last day on this planet, unless you take responsibility and take yourself seriously and have faith that you are worth the journey of getting to know. And even if that means going to somewhere painful, do know that there's a wonderful reward that comes from the end of it. And this is your journey and you were put on this planet to take this journey. This is your purpose. It's just that, just to find out who you really are and be that person.